All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. In just a moment, we'll take you over to Ear to the Ground, hosted by Andrew Ryan and Jade Bells and Bamboo Pipes with Carlson Wong. But first up, we start off the day with Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Wednesday, December 5th. I am John Van Trieste, and joining me in the studio today, we've got Charlie Stora. Hello, John. And Paula Chow. Hello. In just a moment, we'll be hearing about a dispute over yogurt that is costing taxpayers more than 500 US dollars. Then a look at love and marriage on both sides of the Taiwan Strait, and another look at Taiwan's best-selling book categories. All that coming up next. Please stick around. It all started with a 59 NT dollar bottle of Unipresident's AB Original Yogurt. Are you guys familiar with that brand? Uh, it's just kind of like a Yakult. It's kind of drinking, Oops, drinking yeah, yogurt. Other yeah, oh, yeah, brands of drinking yogurt are available. A female college student in Taipei had one in the refrigerator, and uh, one of her five roommates took it. No. And so, uh, yes, that 59 NT dollars, that's just short of $2 US. And so, like any reasonable person, she went to the police. <laughs> and uh, she, after she discovered that it had been pilfered from her communal refrigerator, this story from the Taiwan News has some very dramatic language. She plucked it furiously from the, the empty bottle from the trash bin. So, mm. so she asked investigators to carry out a DNA forensics test to catch whoever had done it. And uh, the police accepted the case, strangely. <sighs> it says later on in the article that actually they are ob obligated to. So I think that there was probably some eye rolling, but they had to do it. <laughs> and an investigation team, well, first they tried to do things the more reasonable way and check for fingerprints. Because it says in this article that uh, DNA testing is the most expensive kind of testing police here do. In terms mm. of like cost, I guess, per case. Uh, so they, started, they wanted to start by dusting for fingerprints, but because the bottle had been wet, they couldn't get any. So they had no choice. The student insisted on DNA. And uh, they had to get all five of her roommates to show up at the police station, too. Can you imagine how mortifying? <laughs> and uh, they took six DNA samples. So I guess one of them, they had to take two. Uh, since each one costs... Well, 3, did they not take a DNA sample from her herself? Maybe that's one of them. Because, uh, you know, what's to say, you know, if the other five deny it and they say, no, you just, you, you drank it yourself. And, now, and now, you're trying to, uh, now you're trying to pin the blame on us. If it hadn't been for you dastardly kids. Yeah, the, the, the total cost of this was uh, 18,000 NT dollars. That's about going on towards 600 US. And uh, yeah, it does say she was one of the people tested. So very good. Catch good, there. good police work. There. Um, well done. <laughs> yeah. And because the police department has to cover the costs, it's ultimately us who are footing the bill for this test. That's a complete waste of taxpayers money, isn't it? Uh, and it says they were able to find out which roommate had stolen it, too. So oh, they were. They, they did. Were. Ah. And they charged her with theft. Can you? <laughs> what are you in here for? <laughs> Doesn't a college student have, you know, didn't she have things that's more 
meaningful was that to do? Well, it says here that, as we mentioned, it's the most expensive kind of testing that they do. The Taipei Police Department's 2019 budget for these forensic investigations has risen 2.5 million NT dollars over this year. So it's already 22 million NT dollars. That's for what it's earmarked for next year. So, I mean, what, what sort of good work, you know, yeah. was taken up by this? I mean, <laughs> they could have just like given it 59 NT from the petty cash to like buy her another bottle. But then I suppose justice wouldn't have been served. Justice I is without know. price, beyond value. But I suppose what, what it does teach is that you just destroy the evidence. You can take someone's yogurt from the fridge. Destroy, don't, don't put, don't the trash put it in the trash. No. Well, destroy the evidence. It costs them more to do uh, DNA tests than drug testing, actually. So there's, it's, there's a whole list of things in here that it costs more than. Mm. Uh, this has gotten scathing reviews from some members of the public, but I think one of the ones who is most connected to the police, actually, is a former professor at Central Police University who was very outraged by this uh, and says, described it as uh, using a cannon to shoot birds. That was another colorful turn of phrase mm, in this article mm. here. Uh, so, I mean, I guess this professor feels like, this former professor feels like we should scrap this sort of obligation and uh, sort of look at the cost and the value of what's been taken and things like that and mm. follow the lead of other countries there. But uh, that seems to still be some ways away. So uh, I guess they cracked the case at least. Well, at least there was no torture involved. Oh, there you go. Well, marriage proposal is an industry in Taiwan. That's something that I've just learned now from Paula. Right. It's actually a, a booming industry because in Taiwan, there are about uh, 20 um, companies who are, who are doing this business, marriage proposals, because recently, you know, um, a lot of young couples, they, um, they want something professional. They want something romantic. For example, um, from what I read in the newspaper, a guy, um, he proposed to his girlfriend at a KTV Kalaranjo, karaoke um, lounge already. However, his girlfriend wanted something romantic, a she, romantic. She wasn't, she, was she turned down the karaoke proposal? Okay, yes, but when you come up with something more creative. Mm -hmm. Right, very romantic. <laughs> And then so, so this guy said, well, so he hired a marriage proposal company. They discussed nearly four months about the plan. I, I don't serious? know why they need four months to do it. But anyway, um, so this guy, eventually, um, he proposed to his girlfriend, and of course, on one knee at a beautiful place in Taipei. And then it cost him 2,600 US dollars for three, uh, three hours. Wow. 2,600 US dollars. Think how many DNA tests you I could know, do with that thinking, money. Yeah. How much right. yogurt could you buy with yeah. that? Right, but he said it's worth it because he said, well, it's once in a lifetime. And then, you know, so and then it costs, um, so it costs a lot, but it includes like um, uh, musicians and dancers, music, everything. And they even um, rent a yacht and they, um, they held a big party there, fireworks, everything. So um, wow. according to what, um, you know, uh, according to um, what I read in the newspaper, there are about 20 marriage proposals company. Their clients are mostly people aged between 27 and 35. Do 27 to 35 year olds have that kind of money in Taiwan these days? I mean, people with even too if much they don't like this income. guy, he said it's worth it. Okay. Right. And then there's one, um, you know, a marriage proposal operator said um, 10 years ago, um, you know, this industry wasn't that popular. They what they did is mostly wedding services. However, in recent years, they think there's a big, um, you know, business opportunity because last year, about 140,000 couples got married. Hmm. 
So well, that's definitely different than what I what came to my mind when you said marriage proposal company. Like I thought it was people who couldn't get up the courage to propose, and so they hired someone to do it for them. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's an interest. It's an industry. Well, it's this is it's just. Well, okay, it's stimulating the economy, isn't it? We can say it like that. But it's just it's just another thing of, of persuading us to spend money on things we don't really need. Okay, so already associated with marriages, you've got like buying an engagement ring right. for a bunch of money. You've got the in Taiwan, you have like uh, taking professional wedding photos. That's something yes. that you're absolutely mm-hmm. expected to do. And that's a huge cost. And then the cost of the wedding itself, um, you know, inviting and, and, and laying on a huge spread for, for hundreds of people and now you're expected to to spend money on the on the proposal <laughs> as well no i'm i'm ktv or nothing take it or leave it oh, I I well maybe they can add that as a surcharge to the whole home the sort of red envelope you're expected to bring when you attend a wedding is okay this is the breakdown of what your money's gone to moving <laughs> <laughs> mm. across the taiwan street now for another story of matrimony Yes, I suppose, and this is uh, connected in some way. We were talking about uh, like uh, spending lots of money. Well, in in China, in recent years, um, with the growth of uh, people's personal wealth over there, spending huge amounts of money on your wedding, like having a big society wedding, and and having lots of all your guests arrive in Lamborghinis or whatever. This is this has sort of become a thing. With people have been trying to outdo each other with how much money we can spend, what mm. what kind of uh, extravagant show of of wealth we can we can put on, and. And um, they're cracking down on it sort of as, as part of the Communist Party's austerity drive um, uh, against sort of ostentatious displays of wealth. But also uh, because it, uh, it seems to have been going a bit far in other ways as well, like uh, not only uh, the spending lots of money on the wedding, but also pre-wedding pranks, which have often become violent or sexualized, according yeah. to this uh, BBC report. Authorities have said modern weddings are both too extravagant and against Chinese and socialist values. The traditional hazing rituals couples are put through uh, also be getting out of control. So they're tr- uh, suggesting standardized ceremonies to a more traditional and simple format. So... Um, Okay, it talks about uh, uh, people in China have increasingly found themselves competing with neighbors and friends over wedding, caught in spiraling spending as bigger weddings become the fashion with expensive receptions, elaborate outfits, overseas wedding photo shoots, all all these things, and guests being expected to bring, you know, a a very valuable gift. But here's an interesting point I didn't know, hadn't read about before. The tradition of playing pranks on the bride and groom, originally meant as a way of helping them relax on their big day, has often been getting out of hand. There are regular news reports of wedding goers carrying out humiliating or violent pranks which have crossed the line into assault. Last week, a bridegroom was hit by a car while trying to escape the pre-wedding ritual, which involved him being tied up and beaten. Oh, oh. so yeah, I mean, yeah, so like in 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 the UK, you think uh, stripping the bridegroom naked and tying him to a lamppost, hilarious. And then if you're going to beat him up as well, then no, that's gone too far. What 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 are you thinking? Why why would why would you do that? What, what the... uh, one week before, several bridesmaids were injured by broken glass when the groom's party tried to get into the bride's house by breaking the door with an axe. And oh. this, I have seen videos of this. You know, the the bride being, uh, you know, people breaking into the bride's house and then sort of dragging her off into to you know to uh, represent sort of the traditional wedding as. Um, a bride being uh, um, coerced and forced uh, into uh, a union. Um, there are also reports of brides being forced to mime sexual acts or bridesmaids being pursued to the point of sexual harassment. 
Now, the uh, according to Xinhua, the Ministry of Civil Affairs is condemning all of this and uh, wants to issue guidance towards more simple and moderate weddings that should integrate socialist values and Chinese traditional culture. Well, I mean, if there's if you're going into like assault and violence, maybe there is a need for a course correction there. Yes, I think they went too far. Mm. <laughs> well, I think we've just passed. Was it uh, reading day here in Taiwan? Right? We mentioned this on this program not that long ago, right? And uh, we've got another st- story about books. Yeah, I think this I read week. something about that. Yes, we've got another story about books this week. What types of books are people buying? Okay, that's, according to a um, popular online shopping website, there are several categories. The first category has something to do with uh, language learning, computer, or, or examination, or high school exam, college entrance exam, or civil service, civil service, service exam. And guess what? The best-selling book um, is a book that I think um, John and Charlie would never read. It's, it's something to do <laughs> with, the English, um, with the English language. It's toic. Test of English for International Communication. Why are we so practical? Is nobody reading literature? Right. This is, I guess, because, you know, the young people, they are under tremendous pressure. You have to take a lot of tests, you know. Right. So anyway, another category it has something to do with interpersonal relationships. It has something to do with um, emotions. Okay, we're heading feelings. over to the self-help section right. here. Right, self-help section. And surprisingly, um, the third category, category has something to do with politics, uh, it might be because it has something to do with our um, elections, you know. Oh, that's just probably conclude. something to do right. with it, yeah. And also people in Taiwan are are interested in reading books imported from uh, abroad, such as books about post-truth politics, anti-intellection in American life, anti-democracy, something well, like yeah, that. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, translated titles in mm-hmm. that vein. Uh, any Any uplifting titles? It sounds like everyone's just reading for work, not for pleasure at all. Well... Um, and the final category is comic books. Okay. Oh, there you go. That's happy. There we go. So yeah, at least we got a little, little bit of sunshine in at the end there. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Charlie Starr. And I'm Paula Chow. Don't go anywhere just yet. We've got Ear to the Ground and Jade Bells and Bamboo Pipes coming up next. <laughs> I often wonder what Taiwan sounds like to the uninitiated. Now, I've been collecting sounds here for 20 years, so it's hard to remember. I'm Andrew Ryan, and in today's Ear to the Ground, I'm going to attempt to listen to my own neighborhood with fresh ears. So many of my recordings begin with the sound of me walking out onto my balcony. 
I live in this old apartment building in New Taipei City. And in the hot months, even now in December, we keep our screen doors open. So I'll often hear something outside that piques my curiosity. I'll grab my equipment and begin recording even before I make it outside. Now, today you can't hear a whole lot from my balcony, just the distant hum of traffic, a handful of birds, a dog in the distance. My decibel reader says it's an average of about 54 decibels, and it guesses correctly that this is a quiet street. In fact, I'd call this sound zero. It only gets louder from here. So what are the sounds you can hear from my balcony, and how many of them would I have been able to identify when I first arrived in Taiwan? Well, some are obvious, things like scooters going by and the sound of birds and cicadas, but others are hard even for Taiwanese people to guess. One of those sounds, this one, sounds a little bit like rain. And with no context, a class of blind students once told me they thought it sounded like a suitcase being wheeled across a tile floor. That's actually pretty close. So I decided to compile the sounds of my neighborhood to give you a feel for the sound profile. I was inspired by acoustic ecologist Gordon Hempton, the sound tracker, who came up with the phrase one square inch of silence. That was to refer to a place in Olympic National Park in the American Northwest, which he's trying to keep free of human sounds. He's in Taiwan right now, and I thought, what better way to introduce him to Taipei's sound zero than by recording the one square inch of noise from my balcony. It begins with me opening my screen door and our neighborhood chief thanking everyone for voting her back into office last month. See if you can identify the other sounds in this minute-long compilation. So how many of those sounds were you able to identify? I'm going to play it one more time, and this time with the answers. That's the neighborhood chief. The firecrackers are a wedding send-off for a bride and groom. That's the door and window fixer. There's the trash truck music, followed by a recorded welcome at a store. That buzz is the fumigators spraying down our neighborhood. And then the top-up machine for Metro cards, telling you to insert some bills. Scooters race past. There's funeral music. A hydraulic-powered bus door. A school bell and students. Cicadas. And it concludes with someone watering their plants. And the water dripping onto my corrugated balcony roof. Now, my neighborhood is not always this noisy, but I can hear a lot more than I could in my apartment in Chicago, where thick windows sealed me off from the outside world. Here, the sounds fill my apartment at all hours of the day. 
babies crying in the night, weddings, religious processions, and even funerals. A constant reminder that life is always marching forward right outside my window. With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan. Explore the beauty of Chinese and Taiwanese traditional music on jade bells and bamboo pipes. Hello and welcome to this week's jade bells and bamboo pipes. I'm Carlson Wong in Taipei, and on today's show, we're listening to music performed by Zheng Xingzheng Music Orchestra. And the first piece that we'll be playing for you is a piece which everyone in Taiwan, especially. Um, people who are older than thirty years old should know this piece is called "When We Were Young." When we were young, we frequently wandered up the hill and down the dale, catching fishes and shrimps, splashing waters, climbing hills to count the stars. Years have gone like the water under the bridge. Only the memory of childhood remains. Alas, those beautiful memories of youthful springs and autumns. When we were young, we played together with arms linked, and with such innocence and joy, we'll cherish the treasured memory of innocent childhood.
when we were young, I have to make a correction. I was just told by one of my colleagues, when we were young is popular with those over 40 years old in Taiwan, myself included. And next, we'll listen to childhood memories. Spring goes and autumn comes. The wandering son is now longing for home. He recalled the time when he was a child. He played hide-and-seek. That that house, the chirping birds and the swimming fish are all the things that connected with the happy childhood memories. Only the beautiful time is gone forever. The melody is a popular Western orchestral piece which is known to everyone. And here is Childhood Memories.
And more online at English.rti.org.tw. Check it out. And again, you're listening to Jade Bells and Bamboo Pipes. I'm Carlson Wong in Taipei. Today we feature music performed by Taipei Zheng Xinjiang Music Orchestra that was founded in 1977. Next, we'll listen to Chai Tou Feng. The melody is sentimental and is originally a theme song for. The radio drama Chai Tou Feng, composed by Yang Bingzhong. Thank you. 
Tao Fong, a tune of woe produced for a radio drama of the same name, Chai Tao Fong, by a local radio station here in Taiwan. And next, we'll play for you something very light, something that we played for you before, walking along the Suzhou River. In the year 30s and 40s of Shanghai in China, the attitude towards lovers' behavior in public places is getting more lenient. So the scene became common when the loved couple strolling arm in arm along the Suzhou River intoxicated in love. As the saying goes, at that time, in the depth of night, the silence prevails. There is not a shadow to be seen by the river. We walk with arms linked in the dark street. In the depth of night by the river, we are the only couple remaining.
Walking Along the Suzhou River performed by Zheng Xinzheng Music Orchestra. And hopefully you have enjoyed listening to the music that we have chosen for you today performed by Zheng Xinzheng Music Orchestra. Thank you for listening for comments and suggestions. Please write to PO Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. And our email address is rti at rti.org.tw. RTI is short for Radio Taiwan International. Once again, thank you for coming. I'm Carlson Wong, and I'll leave you with Overture to the Spring Festival. I'll see you next week. Then, goodbye. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. I'm John Van Trieste, joined back in the studio once again by Charlie Storer and Paula Chow, and we're here to leave you with one more thing. Today we're talking about a sport invented in Taiwan that is uh, helping Taiwan's foreign policy, it looks like here. This is the sport of woodball. Now, have either of you ever heard of this particular sport nope. before? I have never heard of woodball. What would you... Sounds like one of those games that they have at the uh, the... Like the World Games, you know, like the the Olympics for non-Olympic sports. Oh yeah, like korfball and uh, all these ones, woodball. Like the the one where they have like a canoe ball, that kind canoe of thing. Ball. Canoe ball, canoe ball. I think they have one at the down. Asian Games this year. It was something along those lines. Okay, what is woodball? What are all you right. doing, woodball? So it's a sport that's derived from golf and croquet, and it's very similar to those two, except that it was invented by a person called Wang Minghui in 1990. And the reason he came up with this game was he wanted to play golf in his garden and not have to pay green fees, basically. Mm. Far too expensive. But he didn't want to play croquet. No. So it's sort of a... I think mini golf is the... Uh, is, is the Much less here. blue water. Much less re- weird traps and blue water. It's, it's sort of... It basically involves hitting balls through wooden gates with wooden mallets. So sort of what... It's Croquet. very wooden, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, it, it, it does combine a bit of golf in there, though. And this, for the past seven years, Taiwan has been using this to, I guess, get diplomats and uh, foreign ambassadors and dignitaries to bond. Uh, the, foreign, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Saturday organized the seventh annual uh, Diplomatic Woodball Friendship Tournament. 
and they're hoping that it will promote, according to CNA, both the game and Taiwan. Nice. Um, and uh, so they are Deputy Foreign Minister Kelly Xie at the opening ceremonies of this event. It was a diplomatic event. They had an opening ceremony, of course, said that uh, it shows Taiwan's innovative spirit. Among those in attendance was, that were ambassadors from Nicaragua and the Solomon Islands. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe it'll catch on internationally. You know. So who are the who's the who are the best at it? Has any, any particular nation emerged as? I suppose Taiwanese people. I mean, the International Woodball Federation is based in Taipei, and Wang Minghui, who invented this sport, is uh, currently the, still the president. So, hmm. so I don't know how long his tenure has been, but it was invented in 1990. So yeah, seems good. mostly on home shores so far. But it does say that it has been introduced uh, partly through Mr. Wong's efforts to 44 different countries and uh, these are in Asia, Europe, the Middle East, Africa and South and Central America so I guess... Uh, the no, Taiwan's allies Right, I guess US, no yeah. uh, Australian or North American fans yet, uh, maybe our listeners can learn the rules and pick it up but uh, the ministry says it hopes that it will one day become a formal Olympic sport mm, Very good. I wonder what the chances of that are, I don't yeah. know. I think, uh, I wonder if they've introduced, they should introduce it to, well, Scotland is, is the home of golf. Right. France, the home of croquet. France and Scotland, that's what we use called the old alliance. So they should, uh, they should present that, I think, to, 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 to France and, and Scotland as saying, here's a, here's a game that, uh, <laughs> that symbolise your, your you. traditional historic alliance. Mm. But I think that the government should at least, you know, popularise, popularise <laughs> I mean, the football. Yeah, I mean, I never heard about this sport till today. Right. Have you ever heard of it before? No, never. So I, I never think... heard of this before. See, golf's yeah. quite popular here. A lot of uh, businessmen, they'll go to the driving range. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, actually, you can't really go to this limited space for, for golf courses. There's actually right. a lot of driving ranges. People hit, like hitting the ball. So, yeah, this seems like a perfect sport that you could play, you know, just in a much smaller area, mm-hmm. like in a, in a yard or a garden. Woodball diplomacy. Well, unfortunately, this article does not include detailed rules. Uh, Maybe we'll have to look those up later. But if you're interested, it is, as far as I'm aware, the first sport invented in Taiwan. So a very Taiwanese invention there. Well, that's all from us today here at Radio Taiwan International's English Service. We hope you'll join us again tomorrow when we present Stroke of Light, Eye on China, and Chinese to Go. For now, though, from all of us here in Taipei, thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. 
minutes. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.